This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Anti-Federalist Papers Section 40 Cato, Letter 3 From the New York Journal, October 25, 1787 The recital or premises on which the new form of government is erected declares a consolidation or union of all the thirteen parts or states into one great whole under the form of the united states for all the various and important purposes therein set forth but whoever seriously considers the immense extent of territory comprehended within the limits of the united states together with the variety of its climates productions and commerce the difference of extent and number of inhabitants in all the dissimilitude of interest, morals, and politics, in almost every one, will receive it as an intuitive truth that a consolidated republican form of government therein can never form a perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquillity, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to you and your posterity, for to these objects it must be directed." This unkindred legislature, therefore, composed of interests opposite and dissimilar in their nature, will in its exercise emphatically be like a house divided against itself. The governments of Europe have taken their limits and form from adventitious circumstances, and nothing can be argued on the motive of agreement from them. But these adventitious political principles have nevertheless produced effects that have attracted the attention of philosophy which have established axioms in the science of politics therefrom, as irrefragable as any in Euclid. It is natural, says Montesquieu, to a republic to have only a small territory, otherwise it cannot long subsist. In a large one there are men of large fortunes, and consequently of less moderation. There are two great deposits to trust in the hands of a single subject. An ambitious person soon becomes sensible that he may be happy, great, and glorious by oppressing his fellow-citizens, and that he might raise himself to grandeur on the ruins of his country. In large republics the public good is sacrificed to a thousand views. In a small one the interest of the public is easily perceived, better understood, and more within the reach of every citizen. Abuses have a less extent, and of course are less protected. He also shows you that the duration of the Republic of Sparta was owing to its having continued with the same extent of territory after all its wars, and that the ambition of Athens and Lacedaemon to command and direct the Union lost them their liberties, and gave them a monarchy. From this picture what can you promise yourselves on the score of consolidation of the United States into one government? Impracticability in the just exercise of it, your freedom insecure, even this form of government limited in its continuance, the employments of your country disposed of to the opulent, to whose contumely you will continually be an object. You must risk much, by indispensably placing trusts of the greatest magnitude into the hands of individuals whose ambition for power and aggrandizement will oppress and grind you. Where, from the vast extent of your territory and the complication of interests, the science of government will become intricate and perplexed, and too mysterious for you to understand and observe, and by which you are to be conducted into a monarchy, either limited or despotic. The latter, Mr. Locke remarks, is a government derived from neither nature nor compact. Political liberty, 
the great Montesquieu again observes, consists in security, or at least in the opinion we have of security, and this security, therefore, or the opinion, is best obtained in moderate governments, where the mildness of the laws and the equality of the manners beget a confidence in the people, which produces this security, or the opinion. This moderation in governments depends in a great measure on their limits, connected with their political distribution. The extent of many of the states of the Union is at this time almost too great for the superintendence of a republican form of government, and must one day or other revolve into more vigorous ones, or by separation be reduced into smaller and more useful, as well as moderate ones. You have already observed the feeble efforts of Massachusetts against their insurgents. With what difficulty did they quell that insurrection, and is not the province of Maine at this moment on the eve of separation from her? The reason of these things is that for the security of the property of the community, in which expressive term Mr. Locke makes life, liberty, and estate, to consist the wheels of a republic are necessarily slow in their operation. Hence, in large free republics, the evil sometimes is not only begun, but almost complete, before they are in a situation to turn the current into a contrary progression. The extremes are also too remote from the usual seat of government, and the laws therefore too feeble to afford protection to all its parts, and ensure domestic tranquillity without the aid of another principle. If, therefore, this state, and that of North Carolina, had an army under their control, they never would have lost Vermont and Franklin, nor the state of Massachusetts suffered an insurrection, or the dismemberment of her fairest district. But the exercise of a principle which would have prevented these things, if we may believe the experience of ages, would have ended in the destruction of their liberties. Will this consolidated republic, if established in its exercise, beget such confidence and compliance among the citizens of these states, as to do without the aid of a standing army? I deny that it will. The malcontents in each state, who will not be a few, nor the least important, will be exciting factions against it. The fear of a dismemberment of some of its parts, and the necessity to enforce the execution of revenue laws, a fruitful source of oppression, on the extremes, and in the other districts of the government, will incidentally and necessarily require a permanent force to be kept on foot. Will not political security, and even the opinion of it, be extinguished? Can mildness and moderation exist in a government where the primary incident in its exercise must be force? Will not violence destroy confidence, and can equality subsist where the extent, policy, and practice of it will naturally lead to make odious distinctions among citizens? The people who may compose this national legislature from the southern states, in which, from the mildness of the climate, the fertility of the soil, and the value of its productions, wealth is rapidly acquired, and where the same causes naturally lead to luxury, dissipation, and a passion for aristocratic distinction, where slavery is encouraged, and liberty, of course, less respected and protected, who know not what it is to acquire property by their own toil, nor to economize with the savings of industry, will these men, therefore, be as tenacious of the liberty and interests of the more northern states, where freedom, independence, industry, equality, and frugality are natural to the climate and soil, as men who are your own citizens, legislating in your own state, under your inspection, and whose manners and fortunes bear a more equal resemblance to your own? It may be suggested in answer to this that whoever is a citizen of one state is a citizen of each, 
and that therefore he will be as interested in the happiness and interest of all as the one he is delegated from. But the argument is fallacious, and whoever has attended to the history of mankind and the principles which bind them together as parents, citizens, or men, will readily perceive it. These principles are in their exercise like a pebble, cast on the calm surface of a river. The circles begin in the center, and are small, active, and forcible, but as they depart from that point they lose their force and vanish into calmness. The strongest principle of union resides within our domestic walls. The ties of the parent exceed that of any other. As we depart from home, the next general principle of union is amongst citizens of the same state, where acquaintance, habits, and fortunes nourish affection and attachment. Enlarge the circle still further, and as citizens of different states, though we acknowledge the same national denomination, we lose in the ties of acquaintance, habits, and fortunes, and thus by degrees we lessen in our attachments, till at length we no more than acknowledge a sameness of species. Is it, therefore, from certainty like this, reasonable to believe that inhabitants of Georgia or New Hampshire will have the same obligations toward you as your own, and preside over your lives, liberties, and property with the same care and attachment? Intuitive reason answers in the negative. End of section 40